and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Go to Billycock Hill. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now. And come back when you've read it. Hello, everybody. Hello. This is the Famous Five podcast. Welcome. It's very nice to see you. And you. And you, and you, and you. (laughs) And all of you. It feels like it's been a long time since our last episode, but it's only... Month and a half. Okay, yeah, I was going to say it's only maybe sort of two weeks overdue, but I missed you. It went out on the 23rd of March. So let's discount April, and here we are! Hooray! Yay! Here we are, juggling life and babies. You should not juggle babies. Yeah, we weren't literally juggling babies. I mean, I can't juggle, so I would be one of the last people who should be juggling a baby. Nobody should juggle babies. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That's a nice, easy blanket rule for all. So you've learned something within the first minute of the podcast. Ugh, incredible. We are just helping the public. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This has been a public service announcement. Do not juggle your babies. Or any babies. Goodbye. (laughs) The end. But actually, also, we could talk about the book. Oh, that's a good idea. Just before we start, I've mentioned her on quite a few podcasts, but unfortunately, last month, we lost our family dog, Shadow. And it was very sad. It was a shock to us all. We had no idea. And so this episode is dedicated to our dear doggy Shadow. Yeah, the loveliest dog. The sweetest girl, bless her. Right, let's crack on with Five Go to Billycock Hill. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, The back of my book, very short, and it says their 16th exciting adventure, in case you weren't sure. The famous five have made a new friend, a pilot, but he has disappeared with top secret equipment. The five can't believe it. Is Jeff a traitor? Wow. That's it. Mine is an epic. Oh. Over on Billycock Hill, the famous five have set up camp and are ready to explore. They are thrilled to meet Jeff, the local pilot. (laughs) Love it. The local pilot. Everybody's got one. Yeah. But when two planes are stolen overnight, their new friend becomes the accused. Something mysterious is going on and the five want to solve it. Why would Jeff steal a plane? And if he didn't, who did? Woo! Dun dun dun. So, let's get into it. Let's, let's. It's chapter one and the five are consulting a map and we learn they're off to Billycock Hill, which is near some caves and a butterfly farm and Julian and Dick's friend, Toby. Anne is excited about a butterfly farm. Hurrah for Whitson. After Uncle Quentin falls over them and Aunt Fanny arrives home, they pack, lightly, as Toby is going to give them all the stuff they need, but they pack a portable radio, which suddenly makes them seem a little bit more modern. Suddenly, the book calls Aunt Fanny Mrs. Kieran. Now, is that the first time? I think it is, because I also made a note of that. Um, because I knew that their last name was Kieran from from talking to you, and I'm not sure if um, Uncle Quentin has been called Kieran before, but it was definitely the first time I think that Aunt Fanny has been given the Kieran name. 
I think so. I don't think they've mentioned Kieran at all yet because I remember being really surprised that you didn't know, but of course you hadn't got this far yet. Yeah. Turns out you have to get all the way to book 16. And off they go. I have some questions about chapter one, um, which is, what is Whitson now known as? Because I don't know, and I could have Googled it, but I did not. Whitson is why we have a May half term, so it's probably just called May half term. Okay, so is it like May Day, or? It's a Christian holiday, and I know that's what the May holiday gets called. Okay. It's the seventh Sunday after Easter, which commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Christ's disciples, if that's your belief system. Okay. Oh, gosh, I'm learning a lot today. Okay. Um, I am going to have another question later, but it hasn't come up yet. So I would just like to say in chapter one, I really enjoyed that when Julian was telling everybody that they'll need their anoraks, he says, and don't forget yours, Timmy. And I know Timmy doesn't really wear an anorak, but I love when people invite pets to do human things, as you, as you probably know. Yes, I do. In chapter two, making a big deal of how nice the weather is, and they, I find that Enid Blyton often, often does that if it's an Easter adventure or a May adventure or February, as if to say, it's really nice in these months too. Like It's taken for granted that they're going to have nice weather in the summer. And be able to camp, but another British obsession with the weather. Yeah. Apparently, Toby is a joker. He puts caterpillars down people's necks and don't smell his buttonhole. Now, if a 13 slash 14 year old approaches you with a buttonhole, I would be incredibly suspicious. So George says she'll probably bash him on the head, which I think is a good approach. (laughs) Good. I'm, I'm really not a fan of pranks in general. I think... If both parties aren't no. into it, then it sucks. And I don't really like being pranked. And yeah, I think George bashing him on the head is a great idea. Agreed. And then he'd go, it was only a joke. And then you'd be like, oh, you're one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. You dish it out, but you can't take it. Do you know, there's an absolutely brilliant word for people like that. And it's called a mimophant. Oh, fun. And it, it essentially, when they'll say anything mean to you... But as soon as you turn it around on them, it's like, oh, no, you can't hurt me. I'm a little flower. uh, Wait, no, they're so annoying, though. But the way you said it made it sound sweet. But yeah, no, those those people who do that annoy me greatly. Yeah, those people need to be identified and eliminated. What? (laughs) Yes, you're right, George. The famous five arrive in Tenic Village and buy ice cream. Before lunch, they stop for a drink at a stream. Mm-hmm. They reach the top of a hill and stop for lunch. Julian says you can see five counties from the top of the hill, but he can't remember which, which is helpful. And fascinating. Well done, Julian. And Billycock is an, another name for a bowler hat, which I didn't know. Neither did I. That was going to be my next question. And actually, it's reminded me I, in fact, had three questions. Ah, things to well, learn in this book. It's another name for a bowler hat. Brilliant. I had just assumed it was one of those British place names that are strange, but no, there you go. Mm. They all have a nap till Anne is woken up by a big beetle, (laughs) and they head off at top speed shouting as they go, she's really fickle as to what will wake her up. Like, (laughs) villains plotting and being kidnapped and all sorts of things, no chance, but a beetle is going to wake her up. I'm glad, by the way, that you 
pointed out that they stopped for a drink because I actually <laughs> put a, a little note in here with them. Um, Anne says, I'm more thirsty than hungry, and I'm sure old Timmy must be dying of thirst. Let's stop at the next stream so he can have a drink. And I was I was just glad that they're acknowledging that they do not drink enough fluids. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I sort of didn't really notice how fickle Anne was about the beetle. I just, it was one of those things, you know, where something has to wake someone up, and that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we finish this series, if we ever have to surmise it for anybody, it would be two women obsess over the hydration levels of four children and a dog as they explore the British countryside having adventures. Yeah, that's actually perfect. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I just, I worry for them. They're very young. And you know what actually happens here is Timmy has a drink in the stream and the children don't. They share some orange aid together. So, I mean, I still despair, even though Anne is at least saying that she's thirsty. But anyway, it's an improvement. It's chapter three and they arrive at Billycock Farm and are met by a pigling and a small okay, boy. That's my third question which is i have not heard of a piglet being called a pigling and i liked it um so it's not really a question except to ask had you heard of them being called a pigling before i hadn't but then i just put it into google to see if it was specific to a region and of course the tale of pigling bland came up Beatrix I just Potter. thought of Pigling Bland as I asked you it. So I didn't think I'd heard it before, but I actually have. Oh, okay. Well, well. Lovely. I like it. It's quite sweet, Pigling. Uh, so they are met by a Pigling and a small mm. boy. The boy says his pig is called Curly. Julian asks if this is Billy Cock Farm and if Toby is his brother, and he says yes and points to where he is. Toby is with a dog called Binky, who is introduced to the five, and the dogs shake paws and become friends. They ask him about the little boy, and that's his brother, Benny, who's a real pet. And he even says, Benny's a pet, he really is. Kid brothers are usually a nuisance, you know, but Benny isn't. Kid sisters are a bit of a nuisance sometimes too, said Dick, glancing slyly at Anne, who at once gave him a determined punch. Still, Anne's not too bad, is she, Jew? And go on, standing up for herself. I thought that you were going to read the same part as me, but I realise actually the part I've got with Benny being a pet, which turns out to be a recurring theme, is actually a chapter ahead. But I'll I'll bring it in now. And um, so Anne says, Benny's a pet. I wish I had a little brother like that. And Toby says, he's all right. A bit of a crybaby, though. I'm trying to bring him up properly teasing him out of his babyishness and making him stand on his own two feet and it reminded me a little bit of the book way back when with Cecil Dearlove when we had this only one way to be a boy mm. item so I just I just wanted to acknowledge that that comes back but also I'd like to acknowledge it seems so unfair that Anne doesn't have a baby brother because can you imagine she would love babying him she would Mm, but he so. wouldn't fit in very well with the adventures so no it'd be tricky there there are stories where the um not in the famous five but there are other children's adventure stories where there's sort of four children and a baby and the baby just gets left out it just has to stay at home with mother or nurse or whoever because mm. in swallows and amazons the four children 
I'm pretty sure I've got a little baby brother or sister. And in the Samiad story, five children in it, I'm pretty sure that the baby, I think the baby get lugged, gets lugged around a bit. They call it the lamb. Gets lugged oh. around a bit, but yeah, it hasn't got a clue what's going on, poor thing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The, the, a baby can't be adventurous because it's too little. Toby's mother, Mrs. Thomas, has made them tea, and Anne finds herself thinking about Benny and liking him even more. He's like a little boy out of a story, she said to George. He and Curly ought to be put into a book. Strange you should say that, Anne, because guess yeah. what? <laughs> they are in a book and so are you Anne everything's a work of fiction everything's a book yes. it does make me wonder though if any of these characters that we've met along the way have actually been real people or children that Enid Blyton once knew and is that sort of a nod to somebody or I don't know I don't know there's no, no way of finding out either but no. it's nice to think it yes Toby, Benny, Curly and Binky take the five to get their camping gear. And in chapter four, they collect all the gear and head off to find a campsite. Toby changes his tune about Benny. Having said, oh, he's such a pet, Toby is now like, oh, he's a crow baby as well. Make your mind up. Do you like your brother or not? Yeah, make your mind up, Toby. On the hill, they look down over an airfield. Toby says it's hush hush, but he knows about it as his cousin is a flight lieutenant. The airfield is where they try out new things, so not to worry if they hear bangs or bursts. (laughs) Come on holiday, don't worry if you hear explosions. I like that as a a sort of a plot point because, you know, usually they hear a suspicious sound and it is suspicious. But in this, they're being told, oh, if you hear anything suspicious, it's not. Mm. Yeah, sort of throwing them off, just throwing them off the case. They say that they'd like to meet his cousin. They camp by a stream and Anne sets up her larder and organises and George declares it the best camp they've ever had. Oh, lovely. In chapter five, they have supper and fall asleep in the heather. Suddenly, a loud noise wakes them. A plane, Julian checks his watch. It's five past nine. They slept for nearly 12 hours, which is a dream. I know. (laughs) Especially for you. Yes. Let's not get into mums and not getting any sleep because it's dollars ditch water they make breakfast and toby arrives with more food toby and benny meet mr gringle he's out looking for butterflies and they're introduced with their surnames individually this is julian kieran dick kieran and kieran george kieran all right it's so strange isn't it yeah yeah that was another one they really this book is very kieran heavy like did you know that everyone has the last name kieran because this is all the kieran's individually and they ask to see the butterfly farm, and Mr. Gringle is delighted. I am, um, in this chapter, I've put a little note in, and there's another, it's it's quite near the start when they're going to sleep, and Anne has another funny moment, funny fiction moment, where um, they're all going to sleep, and it says, George was soon asleep, and so was Timmy, tired out with so many miles of running. Anne lay awake for a few minutes, looking at the evening star which shone large and golden in the sky. She felt very happy. I don't want to grow up, she thought. There can't be anything nicer in the world than this. Being with the others, having fun with them. No, I don't want to grow up. And it's funny because she won't. (gasps) She's been the same age for 
Actually, this book, when she said that, made me think I would like to go through all the other ones and see what time of year or what holidays it is during them and work out sort of how many years the books have been going on. And she's been the same age. She's been, she's 10, I think, yeah, or she 11. At the start, I think she's, I think at the start she's, no, at the start she is 10. But I think one of the books ages them up. Yeah, because I have it in my mind that George and Julian are 13. No, Julian is the eldest and George and Dick are the same age. George and Dick are the same age, okay. Yeah, so I I did, I thought it was sort of sweet, but maybe a little bit bittersweet that she was thinking she doesn't want to grow up because they never will. Well, I mean, I don't know. We're only on book 16. They might be, you know, 55 in book 21. I don't know. I assume they're still children, though. Book 21, five in the old people's home. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I knew it! (laughs) It's It's so very sweet that you... Um, don't know how the series ends, and you, you always kind of make room for that in your theories about things. Yeah, yeah, because I, I don't. You know, there's assumptions because... I can make, such as that they will not grow up, but I don't know for sure. No, but also, you that would be the natural sort of thing to think. But then it's like, well, actually, I don't know if the last book is where they're all in their 70s or, you know, I don't know if yeah one of them gets replaced with somebody else. Cousin Jim. Oh, not Cousin Jim. Oh, wait, no, we'd know if they had another cousin. But would we? Would we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> cousin Jim, the secret cousin. Is that the title of book 21? <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. (laughs) In chapter six, Benny arrives, claiming he was there because Curly ran away again. They all proceed to the farm, but on the way, Mr. Gringle stops to catch a brown argus and a six-spot burnet day-flying moth. Mr. Gringle lives with Mr. Brent and old Mrs. Janes, whose son sometimes visits. Mrs. Janes can't bear insects. Why is she living in a butterfly farm? (laughs) I know. With two gay professors. I mean, did you get that vibe? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. also, it's a little bit later on when they're talking to um, Mr. and Mrs. Thomas, where they say, like, ah, yes, the two gentlemen friends living in their friendly house. Yeah. I know, it's lovely, and it? It's like, it's the 50s, so we can't be specific. It's 50s, so they're just bachelors, older bachelors, friends forever. Yeah, that's... yes. Yeah. That's what they used to say, didn't they? They used to say bachelors and it just oh Yeah, yeah, heart. that was that was very much the vibe I got from this also. The butterfly farm is very interesting, full of moths and butterflies and caterpillars. They say goodbye to Mr. Gringle and on their way out someone croaks, Get out <laughs> Oh, that was good. Thank you. I like that. Kind of spooky. In chapter seven. Oh, wait. Sorry, I have to say, um, I do not like Mr. Gringle. I think he is a big poo-poo head. I mean, that is strong. And I'm sorry for my language. I feel very strongly about this. He's so excited for the children to come with him. And then everything they say, which are questions where they're interested or they don't know an awful lot about moths and butterflies. He's so 
patronising to them. And there was one bit especially that really ground my gears where George didn't know that there were nighttime and daytime moths. Well, you know what? Neither did I till I read this book and I'm a lot older than George. And George stopped as Mr. Gringle gave her quite a glare. This is a six-spot burnet day-flying moth, he said, speaking slowly as if he were addressing a very small child. It loves to fly in the hot sunshine. Please do not argue with me. I don't like ignorance of this sort. They're children, and they're finding out about your specialist subject. I just, his attitude, I thought, was very poor. Um, And I was, I think I felt doubly disappointed because I was really expecting to like the butterfly man. And then he, gosh, just attitude. Attitude, yeah. Katie. When people are asking you questions on something that you're an expert on, you should be glad and and get them involved, especially children. I know. Encourage them to ask questions because then they'll learn. Exactly. And why wouldn't you be excited to have somebody who is genuinely interested in what you do? And it says, you know, they're so excited because no one comes to visit. Well, I think I know why. Yeah, nobody comes twice. Yes. Anyway, right, so we leave it we leave the chapter on Yes out You did it better. Do it again. Do it again, set the scene. The get out is Yeah, because then the next chapter opens Timmy growled and so did Binky, so you know it's bad. <laughs> You're alright, Jen. You guys wanna <laughs> sit down? I am sit I'm sat down. Oh good. I'm okay. I've really liked this one. Yes. It's old Mrs. Jane's, and she says her son doesn't like strangers here, but then cries and says he's a bad man. Oh. Toby declares her mad, and Mr. Gringle peculiar too. He says he's never seen Mr. Brent. At lunch, Toby plays pranks. Ugh. I'm not scared of spiders, but once one was in a towel I was putting round me, and it scared me to death. Surprises are awful, whatever they are. Okay, yes. I also, I am very fond of spiders. But the other day I was sitting in the chair and I saw a little movement out of the corner of my eye and I turned and saw nothing and I thought, you know what, I bet it's a big spider. And when I turned back, I felt something on my hand and looked down and it wasn't even a big spider. It was just sort of one that was maybe, you know, a centimetre across. And I shrieked and knocked it off my hand because it was the surprise. Oh, how did he get there so fast? Anyway, then I felt bad in case I'd hurt him, but he was fine. He just landed on the carpet and stopped for a bit because he was upset I'd treated him so badly. And then he went under the TV. Yeah, it's just not it's just not good to do things like that. Just to no. go just to backtrack a minute, I'm sending you on WhatsApp a fo- a photo of an illustration that's in my book. Because mm. it's when the five are or six or seven, however many there is now, are with Mr. Gringle. And Toby has been drawn like he's a proper heartthrob from the 90s. (laughs) He has. He has. He looks like he could just be in a boy band. He looks like his shirt button's far too low. Yeah, it's like... His sleeves rolled up and his hair is like... like And look at his hand, how he's holding that basket as well. Like, very, like, model pose. And also his hair, like, kind of short but a bit spiky on top. And yeah, his shirt is unbuttoned down to sort of, like, um, nipple height. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. And Julian is uh, roughly 25 in that picture, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so he ages, but nobody else. No, and only <laughs> only vis- only in illustrations. Yeah, yeah, only visibly. It's like um, <laughs> it's a picture of Dorian Gray, isn't it? Yes, the pictures age, but the person <laughs> doesn't. Yes. The Five and Toby, because it seems that Benny and Curly have been forgotten about. I noticed that too. They just sort of suddenly disappeared. Go to swim in a pool, ignoring the very large sign that says, Keep out, danger, crown property. Yes, and we know that it was naughty of them to not obey the sign, because the next chapter is called... A spot of trouble. But also very unlike the Famous Five to ignore a sign like that because they're very yeah. respectful of signs and private property and aren't they? I can't, yeah, I think they are. Yeah, they? they are. They're very they're very respectful um, except if a uh, criminal's involved and then they do break and enter. Well, they don't really break but they do enter. <laughs> In Chapter 8, Toby is insistent that there's no danger and they can ignore the sign and go and bathe until a very loud voice starts shouting at them. A man in Air Force uniform, he recognises Toby, but Julian joins the conversation, gaining the man's respect. We apologise for trespassing, he said in his clear, pleasant voice. We shan't bathe here again, I promise you. Sorry to have made you come all this way to warn us off. The RAF guard looked at Julian with respect. There was something about the boy that reassured people, and the man now felt quite sure that it had been all Toby's fault. He smiled. (laughs) Good old Julian. Yeah, Julian has some kind of, um, you know, I've got the theory of um, Uncle Quentin being a wizard, but Julian's Mm. got something a bit extra going on where he just speaks to an adult and they do what he wants. Well, if he's (laughs) ageing... So he is a 13-year-old boy that could be in his 40s, so he can talk to adults uh, better than a 13-year-old boy would. Yes. Um, I don't know if you watched Umbrella Academy on Netflix. No, I didn't. There, okay, there's a character in there um, called Number 5 who is that. He's a, I think he's maybe 50-ish, but in a 13-year-old's body. And I, yeah, it's sort of the same thing. He'll talk to people and they patronise him because they think he's a child. And then he says something really grown up to them. And they're not like with Julian where they're charmed. They were more weirded out. But I guess uh, Julian speaks in a very charming way. So that's his magic power. Sounds good. Um, After that, Benny arrives again. Benny never leaves, but he always arrives. (laughs) (laughs) We used to have... We used to have a drama teacher who wore her glasses on a lanyard, and I swear you never saw her take them off, but you always saw her putting them on. It's the same thing. And it is the same thing. And as they arrive back at camp, they meet a tall, good-looking young man called Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas, a.k.a. Cousin Jeff. Ooh. Timmy marches straight up to him and offers his paw immediately. This, especially George even says for us, Timmy's never done that before, said George, astonished. Well, what a surprising thing. He must like you very much. So I I feel that we know in this moment, Jeff is a good guy because Timmy's yeah. not wrong. Timmy doesn't make mistakes. Never. No. Timmy knows. Timmy knows. And Jeff is a big fan of Timmy. Good. 
and he talks about the security of the base and what his plane number is so they can spot him. Yes, I should think you could see me with field glasses, said Jeff, considering. I'll tell you the number of my plane. It's painted underneath it, of course, so you'll know it's me if you see it circling over the hill. But I shan't do any stunts, I'm afraid, like coming down low to you or anything like that. Only silly beginners do that. Oh! <laughs> you can't imagine silly beginners in the RAF. No. No, that's true. <laughs> Toby is being a pain and Benny is being funny. That's all I've written. I can't even remember why Toby's being a pain. Uh, I mean, he just in general is. What does he do that's a Oh, he puts salt with the strawberries and sugar oh. with the radishes. Oh, yeah, he is a pain. And do you know what? Only Toby laughs. Yeah, which is indicative that it's not a good joke. I think Toby's going to grow up to kill. <laughs> Probably. That's book 21. Oh my god! Where they have to solve a murder and it turns out it's Toby Thomas. Oh my god! I mean, Toby Thomas sounds like a murderer, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder who he murders. Right, let's not make this a true crime podcast. Hey, this is a true crime podcast, technically. No, it's not. It's fiction no, crime. Yes. All right, shut up. <laughs> shut up. You were 50% right. <laughs> That's good enough for me. Great. Jeff leaves, but he's left a lasting impression on everyone. The five head back, but they spot a butterfly they'd never seen before. They catch it with a hanky and a small box and head to Butterfly Farm. And George and Timmy stay away. They don't like it there. Neither do I. In chapter 10, the others are searching for Mr. Gringle when they come across a man with a pinched face and dark glasses carrying a butterfly net. Anybody in dark glasses in the famous five is a baddie. Oh, definitely. He tells them Mr. Gringle is away, so they assume he's Mr. Brent. He gives them 50p for the butterfly, but they give that to Mrs. Janes. They're such good boys. Mm. She warns them to keep away because of her son. They decide to stay clear from Butterfly Farm from now on. They go to their camp and want to put the radio on. And Anne says, All right, but for goodness sake, have it on softly, said Anne. I loathe people who take radios out into the country with them, switch them on loudly so that it spoils the peace and quiet for everyone else. I could go and kick their radios to pieces. Gracious, Anne, you do sound fierce, said George, looking at her cousin in surprise. You don't know our quiet sister Anne quite as well as we do, George, said Julian with a twinkle in his eyes. She can be really fierce if she thinks anyone is spoiling things for others. I had to stop her once from going up to scold people at a picnic. They actually had a gramophone going full pelt, in spite of the angry looks from people all around. I do believe she meant to take off the gramophone record and break it over somebody's head. Oh, Julian, how can you say such a thing, said Anne. I did feel like it, but I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I had also marked that bit out to read because I I loved Anne and identified with her in this moment. It makes me cross also. Um, God, Anne would not love, you know, today's world when you're on the bus and you have to listen to somebody else's music because they're just playing it full volume out of their phone. Absolutely. And they've got their gramophones on the buses. I know. I know. She'd have to go and break a lot of records over people's heads. They listen to the news. Oh, actually, I don't think I've said this for quite a while about Anne. Anne gets the worst reputation from these books as being soft and soppy and scared. Excuse me, she wanted to go and break a record over somebody's head and she actively states that she wants to yeah. bash a radio to pieces if it's too loud. So history does not remember her correctly. 
No, history only remembers her liking to set up house and mm. the times when the boys are like, the girls can't come, this is a dangerous mission. Mm. I mean, doesn't remember her record smashing moments. Because God forbid she have more than one character trait. You can only have one. Everybody knows that. As a human being, you just choose one and that is your, that's your character trait. Like on The Sims. Yeah, on the Sims she'll have four, I think. Oh yeah, oh wow, Sims is progressive. (laughs) It is. They listen to the news and hear a plane go over. It's 569, Jeff's plane, so they all wave. Yay. Where we go on holiday in Anglesey is near RAF Valley, and so often there's planes going over, and I always wave. Oh good. good. They never wave back. Although once, going along the beach, there was a helicopter and it was flying really low. I think it was the Coast Guard or something. And I waved and you could actually see the people inside and they waved back. That was one of the best days I've ever had. That is awesome. I'm a big waver. Me too. I love to wave to transport. I like waving to trains. Yes. Even if I can't see the people on them, I think, I always think, if there's one kid at a window waving to people they can see, then how fun for someone to wave back. So I just wave in case there's a kid. Even if I don't see anyone, I just wave. Yeah. I just like to wave. There's no harm in waving. No, it's jolly. It is jolly. You're right. We should bring it back. Bring back waving. Bring back waving. Jolly waving. Hello and welcome to the Jolly Waving waving Podcast. (laughs) In chapter 11, a storm is on its way. I would like to count up how many storms have happened in in the famous five books so far. So yeah. many storms. So many storms. And how many storms happened that weren't directly attached to the main plot line? Like, were there any, was there ever any just bad weather because it was bad weather? I don't think the weather is ever bad for no reason. No. Because five... On a secret trail, the bad weather had to get them into the dilapidated cottage. Five go down mm. to the sea. It was like all the wreckers stuff, wasn't it? And there was one, um, a face at the window during a storm. Yeah, that was and secret everyone... trail. Oh, was it? Yeah, because everybody said it was... Um... Oh, wait, no, there was another face at the window. Because the time I'm thinking of, they were at Kieran Cottage and it was Ragamuffin Joe ah, at the window. Okay. But it was, it was a storm and everyone said, oh, it wasn't a person, it's just because it's windy, Anne. That was probably five fall into adventure. Oh. And then one of the early ones, it brings up the wreck, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, of course. That's the first book. And uh, Timmy thought it was a whale. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anne thought, Timmy thought it might be a whale. Timmy knew it was a wreck. Timmy was like, I've seen my fair share of wrecks. Anne thought it was a whale. But Anne's like, he thinks it's a whale. (laughs) In the near dark, Timmy barks. Julian goes and checks. He sees Mr. Brent, who says him and Mr. Gringle are out checking their honey traps. Julian heads back to camp and gets lost, but Timmy gets him home. They play cards in the tent and Timmy barks again but they assume it's Mr. Gringle and Mr. Brent, but he would not stop. Then they think they hear a yell. George gets very cross, but then they hear a plane. Oh. In chapter 12, they wonder why a plane is out in such weather, but they decide to go to sleep. When they wake up, it's still raining, so they decide to go and look around the caves. They discuss stalactites and stalactites and the warnings on the cave. They follow the roped tunnels, but Timmy runs off down an unroped one. They shout for him, and eventually he returns. Then they hear a strange high-pitched whistle. 
It frightens them and they run from the caves. TBH, I thought mm. it was the pigling in the cave, just making pigling noises that sounded weird, mm. um, which it wasn't, as we'll find out later. But the pigling does go down that cave. So it's kind of mm. like I'm a psychic. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> they, in chapter 13, they wonder what on earth could have made that noise. And out in the open, Julian uses his field glasses to look at the airfield and sees many people and planes. Something's going on. They switch on the radio, softly, and hear the name Billycock Hill. And so they listen. And because it's the 1950s, it would have sounded something like this. This is the BBC. Two aeroplanes stolen from Billycock Hill Airfield were two valuable ones into which have been incorporated new devices. It is possible that they were stolen because of these. We regret that it appears that two of our best pilots flew them away, Flight Lieutenant Geoffrey Thomas and Flight Lieutenant Ray Wells. No news has been received of either plane. Both disappeared during a storm over Billycock Hill during the night. Bravo. There's some brilliant um, Pathé newsreels on YouTube and it's all that sort of voice and old footage of London. And How frightfully proper. Anyway, that's the sort of voice that you're dealing with. One of my favourite voices. Excellent. I'm glad that you were here to recreate it for us. However, this means that their five are astonished and Dick realises they heard the planes go. Oh my goodness. They ought to tell the police. Then Toby arrives and he's devastated. Nobody wants to believe it's true. Then some military police come to interview them. Julian tells them he saw Mr. Brent, so they head off to Butterfly Farm. It's funny, nobody wants to believe it's true, but actually everybody does except Toby. Everyone's like, we don't want to believe it, but it must be true. Well, if it's on the, if it's on the news, if Jeff is missing and the plane is missing... Yeah, that's true. That's true. If nobody could fly that plane except Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas... Lieutenant. Yeah, I guess I, I mean, I knew that, that Jeff wasn't a traitor because the back of my book says, is Jeff a traitor? Which usually means no. And Timmy, flawless judge of character. Well, that's the thing. They don't know if they went to the airfield and said, look, we know you think he's a traitor, but Timmy likes him. They'd all go, right, he's clearly not a traitor. But they, they don't do that. Well, I mean, the power of radio because, um, they're saying among themselves, um, uh, Dick says, but I say, fancy Jeff doing that. I liked him so much. So did I, said Anne, turning her head away. So did Timmy, said George, and he hardly ever makes a mistake in anyone. Mm. So the news, Timmy's a great judge of character, but it was on the news. And who else could have flown those planes? Exactly. Mm, gosh. In chapter 14, which, as we know, historically is usually where the story sort of takes a turn and we, get, <laughs> we actually get to the adventure, mm-hmm. they hear screams coming from Butterfly Farm. It's Mrs. Jane screaming at the military police. Later, they don't feel hungry at all. They see Mr. Gringle, and he reveals that neither he nor Mr. Brent were out that night. The real Mr. Brent doesn't wear dark glasses. Mr. Gringle is really cross and stamps off. Julian is confused. Somebody pretended to be Mr. Brent. Toby confirms that it wasn't Will Jane's either. Something is going on at Butterfly Farm. Mm, yeah, there's a little bit here where 
Everybody frowned and puzzled over the whole thing, but nobody could think of a sensible reason for anyone wanting to pretend to be Mr. Brent. Except maybe they're the criminal, you guys. Come on! Mm. In Chapter 15, they decide to visit Butterfly Farm that night to see if there was anything suspicious with Toby at 11. At 6, they listen for more news on the planes. Shall I do the voice again? Yes, please. The two aeroplanes stolen from Billycock Airfield last night, flown away by Flight Lieutenant Geoffrey Thomas and Flight Lieutenant Ray Wells, have been found. Both planes crashed into the sea, but were seen, and there is a chance of their being salvaged. The pilots were not found and are presumed to have drowned. At Edinburgh this afternoon, there was a grand rally of... Julian switched off the news and looked at the others soberly. Well, that's that. Crashed. Both of them. That was because of the storm, I suppose. Well, at least no enemy will be able to get hold of the new devices that were incorporated into the planes. Yes, Julian, but that's two, definitely two people dead. Well, but never mind, because they were traitors. That's how we feel in in this time period, really. Yeah, being a traitor is the worst thing. It's been explored in previous books, I remember. Everybody has very strong feelings about it. Yeah, because... Pottersham in Five Have a Wonderful Time was the nastiest baddie we've ever come across because he was a traitor. Yep. It just doesn't seem right. But Jeff now must be dead. Everyone is shocked and Anne wonders if they should go home. Julian doesn't want to desert Toby. So the boys head off to Butterfly Farm and Toby is there but he just doesn't believe Jeff is dead. They head off to peep in the windows. In chapter 16, Mrs. Janes is in one of the rooms looking like she's waiting for someone. They also see Mr. Gringle and Mr. Brent, who is nothing like the man who claimed to be Mr. Brent. It all looks normal. Could I just um, pop in here and say... Yes, pop away. Pop away. Mr. Gringle and Mr. Brent are um, just sitting in, sitting at a table, pouring over some papers. Mm. And um, what are they doing, whispered Toby. It looks as if they're making lists of something, probably making out bills for their customers, said Julian. Anyway, I must say they look perfectly ordinary sitting there, doing a perfectly ordinary job. I actually thought that was really suspicious. I thought it was a bit too laid on. It's, well, they're very ordinary doing their, doing ordinary things. Um, and yeah. I thought that they were perhaps going to be the villains. Also, it is the middle of the night. It's probably, what, it's after 11 and they're just sitting there doing their ordinary jobs. I don't know. I thought it was suspicious. They see one more light on in the top room. Julian goes up a ladder and sees Will Janes reading the paper. Toby goes up too to check and says Will looks like a brute now he never did before. They hide in the barn to see if fake Mr Brent is about. They hear footsteps and hear Will demanding his money. Then they hear a blow and a fall. Twice. Then Mr Gringle shouting and the greenhouse smash and Will shouting that he could see prowlers. Unfortunately, the torchlight falls on the boys and they get grabbed. In chapter 17... Will has hold of Toby and Dick and Julian runs straight into Mr. Gringle and Mr. Brent. They're about to be locked in the shed when Timmy comes to the rescue. The men retreat and the boys get away. They go back to camp and tell the girls and the next morning they set off for Butterfly Farm thinking Mrs. Janes might let them know who's been with them at the farm. Mrs. Janes has a black eye. She's distraught. Will hit her. Then the police took him away. Mrs. Janes tells them that tells them that there were four men and they were watching something from Butterfly Farm. Mr. Gringle arrives and interrupts. Oh, sometimes I find it very difficult because the 70s TV show is lodged so far into my head that I come across sentences that I, when I'm writing notes and I can just hear the actor saying, they were watching something, something in the hills. They were watching that plane. 
And that is a direct <laughs> quote from the actress that plays Mrs. James. Wonderful. Thank you. In chapter 18, Julian admonishes Mr. Gringle for only noticing his butterflies and moths and not Mrs. Jane's black eye or strange men in his house. Well done, Julian. Yeah, that is a bit, it's a bit much to, to not notice a big black eye is a, is a lot. And also to not notice that there were four extra men in your house. It's, that's too much. Yeah. I mean, that house is going to smell. Yeah. And how do they never bump into anybody in the bathroom? Exactly. It seems to fit with the stolen aeroplanes if the men have been watching the airfield. They've been watching that plane. They go to see Toby. They decide to tell Toby's father, who has yet to be introduced to the story, who says they must tell the police so they can find out from Will Janes if Jeff and Ray are somewhere and need to be freed. Will says the foreman captured Jeff and Ray that night Two of them are foreign pilots, as opposed to local pilots, mm. who then crashed. The ones who hid Jeff and Ray didn't tell Will James where, and so nobody knows where to look. Chapter 19. Everyone is in despair. Mrs. Thomas and Benny are out, so the children help Toby with his chores. When Mrs. Thomas returns, she says Benny was never with her. He's missing. No one's seen him, and so they mount a full-scale search. This felt like one of those chapters. Do you remember the pea shelling chapter in Five Go Down to the Sea? Oh, yeah. Whenever they start doing chores, it always feels like not got quite enough to, to fill in a chapter. Yeah, it, it is a bit, isn't it? Like, they they sort of just got to fill some time. Mm. Um, but they have to... We have to have seen them doing something. In chapter 20, everyone is out shouting for Benny whilst eating sandwiches. There's no sign of him anywhere. Then Timmy hears something and they follow. Then they all hear him shouting for Curly. Benny tells them that Curly has run into the caves. They take Benny back to the farm, saying Curly will come back when he's ready. Curly does return with letters written on him. They realise it's JT and RW and the word caves. They fetch Mr Thomas and call the police and with sniffer dog Timmy, they go to the caves. I love a message on a pig. That is, <laughs> that's brilliant. I would like to send messages this way. In chapter 21, Timmy tracks Curly's smell. He heads down one of the tunnels that they heard the spooky noises in. They hear shouting, it's Jeff, hurrah! They rescue him and Ray. With Timmy leading them out of the tunnels, Jeff tells the tale of Curly coming to find them. Back at Billycock Farm, Toby's mum feeds them all up. With the adventure over, there was just one more thing to look forward to. A flight in Jeff's plane. <gasps> the end. And there was a little Alice in Wonderland reference at the end of this book. Um, when Anne's carrying the pigling. And Dick says, put that pig down, Anne. You must be tired of carrying it. You look like Alice in Wonderland. She carried a pig too. Mm. Anne laughed. I think it's gone to sleep, just like Alice's pig, she said. And so it had. How fun. A crossover. A crossover episode. I love that. So that's the end. The very abrupt, as per usual, end. I was, um, I was a big fan. Big fan of this one. Um, I, I liked it because it was an adventure centred on the children. Yes, you're a big and fan of those. Yes, and I don't like it when they get captured. And at the end of chapter 16, start of chapter 17, 
I thought, oh no, the boys are going to get captured. And then Timmy comes to save the day, and I loved it. Um, and it is a very abrupt ending, but I, yeah, I was a big fan all the way through. Very fun, very fun. I like the children to be free, free to adventure, and hopefully take a drink once in a while. <laughs> See, obsessed with hydration. I am obsessed with hydration. It is a good one. It kind of feels very different to the other ones. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of... I know they go in the caves at the end, but there's not a lot of secret passages or overhearing conversation. I suppose there is a little bit. All right, fine. It's exactly the same with the others. I don't know. I think you're right. There's, there is a bit of that, but it's a lot more than being on holiday camping near the farm. Hmm. It feels a bit more modern as well with the radio and like aeroplanes and stealing planes and things. Yeah, that's it's like true. the biggest thing. Because I mean, we've had stolen diamonds and we've had stolen scientific plans. Yeah, but we've never had stolen planes. No, that's fun. Mm. Very modern. Is there anything else you want to say about five? Go to Billy Cock Hill. No, I, I feel I've I feel I've shared my my feelings throughout. You know my disappointment with the butterfly men, and uh, and so on. This is a section where we talk about the TV adaptations. So in the version that's that was filmed in the nineteen nineties, there's no Benny, there's no Curly, there's no Mrs. Janes, and there's no Ray. And to be honest, Ray is sort of a very minimal character and it's easier to focus just on one plane being stolen and Jeff. I mean, even in the book he's very minimal. I noticed he got a knock to the head so that he didn't have to say much. <laughs> yeah, and a dodgy ankle. Yeah. The whole episode seems to be George's sexual awakening as he, she fawns over Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas. And mm. she even lets him call her Georgina. And that doesn't sit no. well with me. I don't see why that had to be a thing. She could admire him without compromising who she is. Yeah, do you think they just they found it too hard or they thought it would be too hard to show that Timmy is very enthralled by Jeff? So they were like, oh, well, it can be George. I honestly don't know. But they could definitely have done it so that it wasn't like... Well, we'll talk about it after the clip. So also in this, Toby is so annoying, but actually having gone back through the book, that's a correct characterization. He is so annoying. Um, and also in this, Uncle Quentin is involved with the airfield with the secret plans. Oh. It's the very last one that was ever filmed, and so all the children look quite old. The clip is the introduction to Jeff, played by Jason Connery. It was adapted by Richard Carpenter and directed by John Gorry. This is Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Jolly glad to meet you all. Timmy must like you. And I like him. And you are? I'm Georgina. I mean, George. Oh, come on, let's go get some tea. I'm Dick. Don't be misled by the fact that the airfield is not fenced off. There are guards all about. Yes, we know. We went to the pool. I know. Toby made a mistake. 
You should have known better. I'm sorry. Careful checks are kept on all strangers who arrive in the district. Even us? Even you. Wow. You mean we're being watched? Well, that's how I knew all about you. Mind you, they only told me there was one little girl. Their head, little thing. Didn't say anything about you. You are a boy, aren't you, George? Yes. I mean, no. At the start of this clip, I thought it was quite sweet how George seems quite dreamy and in love with Jeff, but actually, it's a bit creepy. Um, yeah, the the sort of the, the little girl, and he like reaches out to touch her hair, and it actually felt a little bit predatory to me, but. I think that's probably um, just a, you know, a change in how those sort of relationships would be portrayed on television now as opposed to in the 90s. But I, yeah, I, it just, it felt very out of character for George. I thought, you know, if she first meets him and she's a bit, you know, starstruck, that's all right. But it was a bit much. And, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a one minute clip. And it was, it was too much. So too much, too much. As it goes on, she's, fighting his corner but you get the feeling she's fighting his corner jeff couldn't possibly have done this because she fancies him not because he's a good guy or he comes across as you know a sound individual or because timmy is a good judge of character mm. it's more because i've got a crush on him he couldn't possibly and i'm going to prove his innocence and it That's just strange it was a really odd choice I think I'm not sure why they went for it they could absolutely have had George be a little bit weak at the knees that's fine obviously that may happen or may not happen to it but I don't really think that's anybody's call because yeah that's not what the famous five is about there's never a case of anybody fancying anybody else why can't she just think what a brilliant human being he is and be no, in awe or respectful in the way that the boys would be. Yeah. You know, gosh, what an upstanding gentleman Jeff is. Why can't she be like that? Why does it have to come down to attraction and having her compromise her personality right at the end of a series? It, it Yeah. I found it very disappointing because I'm so behind George and everything she does, including bashing Toby on the head for his He's stupid pranks. Yeah, it does. It feels very un-George and it's different to the book because in the book it's Toby who is fiercely defending Jeff's corner because mm. Jeff is his idol. And George and the rest of the five are all second-guessing themselves because they thought he seemed so nice, but all the evidence from the radio points to Jeff being a traitor. So Yeah. Yeah, strange, strange... Um, change and they had toby in the episode so they could have had him be annoying and jeff's biggest fan exactly in the 70s version uh again there's no ray because we don't need you ray sorry sorry uh, and instead of caves it's an old house called old hall that jeff is kept prisoner in and you know i know that you enjoy the fact that every episode ends on a laugh mm-hmm. and in this one jeff's saying perhaps I could take one of you up in the plane and Dick says well it should be Curly really because he's the one that saved Jeff's bacon <laughs> and it's the fake laugh that's wonderful 
Um, this clip is the introduction of Curly and Benny and and Flight Lieutenant Jeff Thomas, Don Lever directed, and Gail Renard adapted, and Barry Andrews plays Jeff. Well, that's all the gear stowed. How about some tea? Pig! A bit strong, isn't it? No! Over there! So far from home. Curly runs away again. This is my baby brother. Which one? You shouldn't be so far away on your own. I'm not on my own. It's Jeff. My cousin Jeff. Well, anyone can make a mistake. But in future, I think I'd better visit you. Fewer problems with security. Timmy, no. Oh, that's all right. I like dogs. Security at the field's pretty tight, isn't it, Jeff? Yes. We know immediately if any strangers come into the district. I expect by now the military police are busy checking up on you. Is there any chance you can give us a tour of one of your planes sometime, Jeff? Afraid not. You see, the planes are top security. Oh. How about... Cake? Oh, I love the, the sort of swelling of that musical intro to Cousin Jeff. Like, we know that he's a dreamboat with that... A little bit of music. Um, and I also like at the end where he just produces a cake out of nowhere <laughs> to stop Dick from talking. Cake? And if anything is going to stop Dick from talking, yes. it is cake. Or a pickled onion. We haven't talked about uh, Dick's pickled onion addiction in a while. He might have been to oh, rehab yes. between books. No, maybe. And maybe the jar of mustard that's in his pocket, which he always keeps, is like, you know, when you're. When you have an addiction, but you're trying to wean yourself off, so yes. you have a replacement. You know, for example, you might vape mm -hmm. to try and get off cigarettes. So the jar of mustard is his transition, so that it's a jar. So he still feels like he's got something with him, but he can't just put his hand in and grab a <laughs> load of mustard and eat it, like he would yeah. with a pickled onion. Yeah, he, he's got more control when it comes to mustard. Poor dick. In this clip, I would like to point out the world's loudest <laughs> deck chair. So, uh, Dick approaches Anne, if you have only listened to it and you haven't watched it, it is on YouTube, but Dick approaches Anne and says, how about tea or dinner or whatever? And she goes, pig! And Julian says, that's a bit strong, isn't it? He's further back from the camera, and as he says it, Toby opens this deck chair that is so loud that it kind of masks what Julian's saying. But for some reason, they didn't cut and retake it they just went oh it's fine and it's carried fine. on we want toby to be the most annoying character in the world <laughs> with his loud yeah. deck chair so what have we learned from five on billycock hill well i've learned about the holiday of whitson but i didn't actually learn that from the book i learned that from you so thank you but it still counts because it's still connected to yeah. Five on Billycock Hill. I've learned, and this feels like a hundred years ago, but a map is easiest to read on the floor. Way back mm. in chapter and one. And also from very early on in the book, Billycock is another name for a bowler hat. And stalactites have to hold tight to the roof while stalagmites might come down and join them. Lovely. 
that is good because that's useful knowledge everybody always wants to know which one's a stalagmite and which one's a stalactite and now we know now we know who is your hero of the book oh i struggled to pick one because i think one of the reasons i liked the book so much was because it was a big sort of team effort of all of the five and um, but then also it meant that the glory was distributed what did you think i agreed the only person that i sort of singled out because of that was Timmy when he came to the rescue of the boys and also his excellent judge of character. I don't think hero necessarily means the bravest. I think hero is just being an all-round good person sometimes. Yeah, I'm happy with Timmy, actually. I think that's a really good choice. I'm committing it pen to paper. Timmy. Timmy. That's his uh, third. Oh, no, sorry, his fourth. That's his fourth hero. He was also the hero in book 12. Five Go Down to the Sea. Book four. Five Go to Smuggler's Top. This is like the Eurovision Song Contest. I know it is. And book two. Five Go Adventuring Again. Nilpois. Wonderful. So, Katie, what can we expect next time? I see this book is called Five Get Into a Fix. You can expect snow, whales, and dogs. But whales as in the country, not the animal that Anne thinks Timmy thinks the wreck is. I had seriously just opened my mouth to ask that. <laughs> and um, snow. snow. I, I'm excited, but also... Um, a little worried. They won't be able to camp or sleep out under the stars. Ba- a bad weather book. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm ready. I'm excited because I really enjoy a Welsh accent. And so you can all be treated to that in the next <laughs> episode. How wonderful. Thank you very much for listening. I can't believe we're on uh, book 16 with only five more to go. I know, I know, goodness. And so if you want to keep up with us and what we're up to, you can go to Twitter at Famous5Pod. And you can email us, Famous5Pod at gmail.com. We would love to hear what team you are. I am a firm team Anne. And of course I am team George. And I always will be. And you can't take that away from me. We can't. Because I would bash Toby on the head too. Good. We all should. Everybody should want to bash Toby on the head. Toby Thomas. That sounds quite Welsh actually, doesn't it? Mmm. Gosh, you had a real missed opportunity for a Welsh accent in this book, it turns out. Mmm. Oh, well. Never mind. We can't go back now. I did my BBC radio accent, so. That's true. Can't have them all in one go. You had an accent outlet. And we will see you next time for more Famous Five Adventures. Goodbye. Yeah, thank you for joining us and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.